1: Outside the air-conditioned terminal at John F. Kennedy Airport, it is a sweltering 90 degrees Fahrenheit. The air is high with aviation fuel. Sweat trickles down the back of a black baggage handler called Pete, who is filling in for me. I board a familiar Shannon plane. I have shed my official airport overalls to become another set of tickets and labels, another pair of bags on a carousel, another statistic in the never-ending business of departures and arrivals. We ride the jet stream to the west of Ireland in five hours, then a rented car to take me back to the townland where I was born. It is late summer over here. The skies are grey. A white cap of mist on the far mountain, rain in the wind. A lonesome wind in the big trees and the stormy hedgerows. And a radiance in the west. Coming around a bend in the lane into the low evening light. I had forgotten this emptiness.
2: Brian Layden is a short story writer. He lives on a small farm near the village of Kedu on the borders of Roscommon and Leitrim. It's an area in decline. The population has dropped by 50% in the last 60 years. The local coal mines closed in 1990. The small family farms of the area are deemed marginal and doomed. But Brian Layden belongs here. That's why he writes. The changes brought about by the demands of world economics cannot diminish his sense of belonging. Like the character in his story, Departures, the bright lights of America and Europe beckon him. But the land pulls him back because there are no meadows in Manhattan.
3: A writer's life, I, 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 I suppose, it's not more than farming. It's not too profitable either.
2: <laughs> Brian Layden's mother, Anne, a small farmer.
3: But I suppose like everything else, if you're happy at it and if you're achieving a little, uh, say if you can achieve it all at what you're happy at, it's it's the best job of all. Doing it uh, just because there's money in it and not what you want it isn't everything either. So he's happy at it, it's what he wants, and... When it's what he wants, there's nothing more I well there's nothing more I can do or say. I'm glad to have him around at times. Please for his company, but it's his slant on life, I'd say. Probably if I was right that'd have a different slant on it, but it's the way he sees it. I suppose every writer sees things their way. And uh, we enjoy it then when you hear it, I suppose. It's it, it makes it's a different outlook on life and uh, different from your own and you, you enjoy it. Well,
1: there's a humour and there's an outlook and there's a way of thinking, there's an attitude I think is unique to the place. And it's very hard to pin it down in any one saying. But it'd be a shame because there's no jobs left that all that way of life would disappear. So some people have said uh, sometimes a lot of what I do aren't really stories, they're memoirs or they're they're factions, a bit of fact and a bit of fiction, mixing it in. Uh, I don't care as long as I'm getting down the the truth of the place, and what I consider to be the truth of the place, is this unique energy, this this wild man, in, in a way. And, and I feel
4: Europe. I yeah. feel like the two of us, both of us, come out of this culture. It's no good saying we dropped in from space. You know, from space, we were brought up here, and it is a unique sort of a place, and does produce, you know, a, a, a strange insight on the world.
2: Willie Connellan, another local writer and friend of Brian.
4: I mean, if you go, I've travelled a good bit and i lived uh, in other areas in Ireland. But I find this place unique and I wouldn't really like to live anywhere else. It has a strange way of dealing with things. And I think that... Uh, I, I think it's only been opened here, you know. I think, you know, we, as two writers working out here, I don't feel that we've even, you know... I don't think we've even broached the thing or began to explain what's, you know, what's available here. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So every year, it was great you know, meeting another man here, like Willie Conlon, who's a gifted playwright, and very fine comedy
1: actor. He's well-known. He's a big cult follower around here, I must add. Probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the major characters. Maybe we've become characters ourselves to it. But each year, as I say, we get ourselves together. We write our own plays, and then maybe, as I say, a dole check and two butter vouchers mount a major production for the Lowell <coughs> Arts Festival, and that's our level of finances. On Sunday morning, outside an immaculate church, bright as the pearly gates, gleaming lines of family cars grace the car park below the church and graveyard. A church bell tolls, calling the respectable, responsible citizens of the valley to mass. A latecomer trips up the steps, creaks and bangs the door, turns all heads and slips, shamefaced, into a seat at the back. Then the hushed and prosperous Sunday morning stillness. Dark figures shuffle in the church porch. They crouch and whisper over the prayers, sermons, coughs and bells of the mass going on inside. They talk about coal mines, cattle and current affairs. I hear the Germans bought a farm over on the far mountain. You don't buy a farm over there, you buy an address. Oh, well, there's great debate. I mean, any pub will break into the two camps, the yeah. far and those against. And like I say, it can get taken up for different reasons. One, uh, there was a line in a story I wrote about buying cooked chickens in the shop, and uh, it just lining up to the counter on a Sunday. And then somebody would come up to me and, how, and say, How dare I suggest that them women cannot cook a chicken? So you never know how something that innocent as a chicken, fried chicken or a cooked chicken can get you into so much hot water. The same with, uh, there was another man then who, who had, I suppose over the years, had been a great character in the and had got into many a good fight in the 70s and done lots of villainy and was very upset that he was left out of the story. Probably he'd have killed me if I'd put him in, <laughs> you see. On the village street now, I meet a survivor. One of the few small farmers left up there on that lonesome mountain one of a dying breed of black-faced bachelors, that neglected and hidden country manhood, known by the shine in their old suits, the grime along rumpled and worn shirt collars and cuffs, the burnt yellow nicotine-coloured fingers and nails and a yesterday shave, and that telling black in the pores, the mark of men who no longer wash, no longer care, all hope of greater fulfilment grizzled and weathered away.
4: Have to accept, we are a bit mavericks, we but money wouldn't do any harem, that's what I'm saying. What's, what's you know, wrong up in a maverick? Where's the diamonds? Oh, All the diamonds in it, certainly. But you know, well, we do, we do, we write our own stuff
1: and we perform our own stuff because if we didn't, it would sit in the drawer forever. So, what we do is we just get out there and do it. Uh, and you know, it's good for us in a way. When we uh, uh,
4: <laughs> this know. isn't given the of that name,
1: no, that's Cajun not. over the national airways. <laughs> 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 what we do is there's none of us are, uh, I'm farming background and really more of an industrial <coughs> background and really, and his... And the dole and the dole <laughs> they've worked sawmills and I've worked on the farm and it's good for the health, I think the mental health, I don't think a writer, sometimes you can, you can uh, put too much of pressure on your head, I find it very useful to be able to spend the morning writing and then maybe in the evening go out and muck out a barn and uh, does it, it brings your sense of reality back to you when you spent maybe the morning with bullshit and the evening with cow They watch me. The boy from the Bronx returned to sell his past. The roadside fields of a small family farm broken into lots and sold for sites for bungalows on the hill. New homes for neighbors' daughters, schoolgirls in my time, grown to young wives in curves of motherhood. I have lived a lifetime, it seems, amongst the brownstone buildings, grey asphalt streets and dusty brown ballparks of America. I had forgotten the natural green of this farmland. Green of trees and green of hedgerows Green of meadows and pasture Green of gaps and shadows I take up a handful of wet grass For the earth smell of it And remember the first time I heard of the city of New York And the Empire State Building The eighth wonder of the world, my father said Holding my small hand, walking home through the rough pasture Behind a black and white milking cow This is the home kitchen, yes, indeed. And uh, this is heartland and the big part, the big problem as well. We were saying, we are just saying earlier that um, it's the magnetic pull of your home and the little piece of land and the farm you were reared on. And it has this awful gravity, this power to pull you in. And I'm very fond of it and I like it a lot. But at the same time, it's... Are around 20 acres of land on the side of a mountain, that's just not viable. There's hardly a living in it, even with a part-time job. To say around here, I don't know what kind of job it would take to keep the place going. And what you're faced with is the pull of the land versus the desire to go out there and earn a steady wage and just have a steady job, get work nine to five and forget it. With a farm, you can't get away from it. You're looking after animals seven days a week, Round the clock. Because, as I mentioned earlier, you may be able to leave a child with somebody overnight or go away for the weekend and leave the children with them. You, the very few people you can leave animals with. You've got to be there for them. So what happens is you, you, you just don't know whether to, on a marginal piece of land, do you eke out a living, sacrifice maybe your ambitions and that desire to get away from here, or do you... As we do here, you just keep it ticking over. And once a year, maybe twice a year, there's a big family sweep. The main important business, of course, is to get the father, the hay saved for the winter. So what happens on a small farm, and this is a regular practice, I think, is that whoever, the family may be scattered about the place. But what happens is you come back for that big sweep for two three weeks. You watch for the forecast. When the sun comes, everybody makes their way back here. You get the old tractor, the old Ferguson 20 tractor, start it up, get going, take out the machinery that's been rusting in the field all year, literally. Nothing's been used. You get this old diesel smell of the engine cranked up and everybody mucks in and for a week, two weeks, if the weather holds, you could try and do this big sweep of hay saving. And then it slips back. You've got, especially now with the baled hay, which is very handy, if you get good baled hay, you just bale it, bring it all in off the field within a day or two, then you've got your shed full and it's a sweet smell of new hay. I miss... That purest satisfaction of a clean, pale stubble field with long shadows reaching out from the haycocks and hedgerows as the sun dipped behind the hills. A veil of mist rising over the still river. The far mountain, pink in the last of the light. Summer moon, low on the horizon for that last round-up after a day of gathering, building, heading, roping the haycocks. is our telephone number. Cathy Moore is on the line. Hello. Good
5: morning, Pat. How are you?
2: I'm very well. You're talking to me from Arigna.
5: I am. The tiny little village of Arigna. Now, it's in Ro- County Roscommon. I actually thought it was Leitrim and I was nearly lynched for assuming this. But it's a tiny village, about 700 people in all. It's nestled in the mountains of Arigna, very, very pretty little area just in off Loch Allen. Arigna to anybody really means mining. It's, it's in your geography books, and you know it when you're about nine years old. You know that mining is associated with arigna. But the ge- geography books are going to have to be changed now, because although they've been mining coal here for the past 200 years, years today is, is a bit of a, a, a D-Day, and people are in a bit of a state of shock here. The weather's good, but there's a dark cloud hanging over arigna here, because t- today is the last heyday for most of the 207 mine workers here um, there's a few of them who are working for the next uh, about a week or two but uh, only very few and they're going to be laid off at the end of that so as and from about two weeks time there's going to be absolutely no coal mining here in Orignan
1: Sheep tracks Another
4: legacy of the mountain sheep drivers. There's some of the old wheels
1: from, which was fairly spectacular in its time, they were very innovative. They used to, uh, they had a, a huge aerial rope, literally big metal pylons going from the valley back up. Now, not to this mine, it would be on the far side of the mountain where they had uh, Dernevogi. And they'd carry the coal on these long, long ropes and track it down like little, uh, really like a ski lift except it was coal they were using so they tried everything in their time but the lorries took over then made it more viable The men marched underground a hundred or more working in one mine foreheads lit by pale flames from brassy, bubbling carbide and water lamps hanging on their helmets swallowed up each morning by the open mouth of the pit and only a glimmering thread of lights leading into their private subterranean world and a long steel cable fishing out lines of hutches rattling out on narrow rails and loaded with shiny black lumps of coal. The lorries, painted red then, rumbled down the valley and rattled back empty from the habitually smoking power station with its tall chimney like a balanced cigarette on Loch Allen's shore, but no more. The old mines are closing slowly turning to places of ghosts and memories. The wealth of coal exhausted. the old shafts have been sealed up, and regiments of conifers pressing on these abandoned places, graveyards marked with mechanical headstones it would take a child or an artist to find beauty now in places so full of rain, rust and ruin. Among the tangled remains of broken hutch wheels, among fallen-down sheds and shattered windows and broken rails, among rusty serpent coils of steel rope and bent pipes scattered to the wind like drinking straws, among the ghost voices of long-dead men and their fiercely guarded ways.
2: Nobody ever thought that this day was going to come like... But um, now it has came, so... Now what what be... does the
1: future hold for you?
2: Well, I'd say eventually it'll mean immigration, because there ain't no other type of employment around the area.
1: What are you going to do then?
2: I mean... Well, um, I suppose um, the next move will be to um, see um, what type of employment they might try and get into the area, which is uh, highly unlikely that they're going to bring in anything at the moment anyway, because they're making sweet buck effort to get anything in. And um, I suppose to look around and say, would it be possible to get another job? Which um, I don't think would be that easy.
0: There seems to be a policy. It seems to me, anyways that the policy is to depopulate these areas. Bring the people into, into cities, get them out of here. And maybe turn it into a, a tourist centre for, for, for the yuppies of, of, of Europe and America to come here.
2: Charlie Hopkins is the former shop steward at Arigna Mines.
0: Lads have been used to working from the War 14 years, working in the coal mine, getting up, going to work, meeting what all about the pump workmates. And the
3: pump? And the pump's
0: water. no here <laughs> <laughs> but that and But that's gone. I don't think that will ever be replaced in this area. People miss that, of course they miss it. Yeah, you meet them now on a, on a Sunday find that you haven't even anything to talk about, you know, because the whole thing is is, is gone, taken away. But people are very despondent and upset and annoyed about it.
2: Father Sean Tynan is parish priest of
6: Kedu. The the morale, it drops so low that they they are... everything goes. The whole uh, way of life drops... So the, the, the spiritual dimension drops along with it. So it is important that we try to do what we can, and I try myself to do what, what I can, the little bit I can.
1: Well, this is what's left of the coal mining industry in Arigna. Maybe this is the, the new phase in its life. We're standing at uh, what we call the Brickett factory. We used to call this site the Sidon from the days, actually, when it was a railway Sidon from the old narrow-gauge railway that used to run, actually connected to Rigna with Balnamore. Now what's happened is this used to be where all the coal was sold. But in the last year or two, they began to develop what are known as uh, briquettes. We call them briquettes. They're basically black duck eggs of compressed coal and bitumen and anthracite. I mean, the exact formula is varying because what they're doing is they're, they're trying to work on a product that will use uh, the last of the coal mining industry here and still meet the new standards for smokeless fuels. So you've got these little black duck eggs made up here in this plant on top, drying plant here, all the... The big wheels where they just press this coal dust into these little bullet shapes and they just come spilling out, but it'll hire no more than 10, 15 people. And some of those will have to be qualified people from brought in from the outside who know about computer-operated systems. I don't see that uh, it's actually any real substitute for the the level of employment that the mines provided. It's a worthy enterprise, and... But uh, it's, not, it's
6: not enough. The, the overall plan for here, especially if you look at from the European point of view, is to plant the area. In Europe, they have, of course, destroyed a lot of their timber-growing areas with acid rain and various fallouts from industry. And uh, the places like the Vienna Woods, Black Forest, Swedish Forest, Norwegian forests, are all suffering heavily from acid rain, even as far as the Urals. It was in Russia, so the the trees even on the Urals are beginning to curdle up at the top with that typical acid rain thing. So we can produce timber here, can produce it in Wales, can produce it in part of Scotland, much more efficiently, much more uh, of it than any place else in Europe, and Europe needs our timber. Now, remember, Europe is... E C, it's E E C, it's European Economic Community. So it's what's economic that governs, not what's social. They talk about the social plan, but the overall overriding thing is the economics. So when the from a European point of view, you can see why they should be pushing this area for plantation, that the people will be. Displaced is secondary, as far as they are concerned. They would go. They would see. They would go and get their employment in Europe or someplace else like that. It would be, of course, absolutely devastating for an area like this.
5: It's a great
4: motivation <laughs> well, Hunger uh, is a great thought. Yes, <laughs> it
1: is. Uh, when, you, when you earn enough just to starve on, then you get out and write a bit. Uh, <coughs> it's uh, compulsion, but. I mean, it's, you have to do it, you, but you have to pay for your... Uh, maybe, too, that when you're living on a very fine budget, you can go out on a Friday or a Saturday and have a few pints, but the rest of the week you'll be just looking no, at the lots four walls. Lots, lots of time to write. I loved it best standing here in winter, late in the frosty night, when the stars glimmered more fiercely through the hard, bare branches. Had I somehow foreseen constellations of car headlights streaming along the Franklin D. Roosevelt Elevated Highway or standing at the halfway point on the Brooklyn Bridge looking through the network of cables at the amber and white-lit windows of Manhattan the Empire State Building sending shafts of red, white and blue light into a vaulted heaven under my feet, the ceaseless vibration of traffic and the fresh work of these East River bridges humming the headlong song of America.
2: away from New York, the New York of fact and fiction, there's the reality of Brian Laden's home place, this marginal area of Europe. Nowhere are the changes more evident than at the local cattle mart in Drumshambo. Today Brian Laden and his mother are at the mart with cattle to sell. They're not hoping for great prices, that doesn't happen anymore. But from his experiences among the dealers and the animals, Brian writes,
1: In trots, a mangy redhead, a poor cow, reared on rushes and louse powder, all skin and bones, a shabby coat, a long face and a broken heel. She is sent to the isolation pen for the day, forlorn, forgotten and jeered at by better-fed farmers. Where did they find her? Down from the far mountain I'll gamble, where the snipes wear wellingtons. This,
7: uh,
1: it's uh, Matthew Layton, Cross Hill, Crosshill, oh, Boy. Boyd. Oh, oh, oh. uh, many uh, oh, good oh, cattle yet. There's one bull, one
3: half. I know farmers wouldn't sell a cow until she'd fall in a ditch 25, 30 years old, wouldn't sell her. Oh, that's and, been uh, a fine cow, hef- she'd like been it. here all these years. They just wouldn't get rid of her. She becomes the part of the family, they won't sell her off. You can't get attached to cows because they're they're around the house for years, you know, and you remember from the year the year before. They're around for about fifteen or twenty years, you know, good part of your life. Now the the kids here remember cows when they were growing up, and we still had her, and they can go back to the cows we had when they were youngsters, bringing them in to be milked and that type of thing. So they do sort of, I suppose, they kind of grow on you.
2: It was no good; there'd be no money made for like me I'll have to the county home or something Sell it get ready <laughs> no money for the, for the poor man at all too much for the big man the small man is out. There. I think myself anyway. we have to live live far from we get grass I suppose we have to try and do the best we can
1: inside only one sales ring is in use today Prices have been falling steadily since the early spring. The threat of war in the Gulf. The fall of the country's one-man-banned meat processing industry. Fear of mad cow disease in beef products. A disastrous TB eradication scheme. Cheap beef from new European markets. And the lack of a national agricultural development policy has brought the trade to its knees. Even the cattle seem subdued. Over all the noise and steam and smoke comes the voice of the auctioneer. In a tight circle with a sawdust floor, the animals do a reluctant turn for the buyers. A bucking black whitehead gets a smart smack of the stick and shows a none-too-clean pair of heels on its trot around the ring. A haughty, continental charolet with garlic and molasses on its breath does a lazy circle for the buyers and then lifts its tail before leaving the ring unimpressed. The buyers hang on the side of the ring like drowning men clinging to the edge of a raft. Shoulder to shoulder and cool as poker players, they scrutinise every animal.
3: You set a price yourself and uh, you tell you out of the auctioneer that um, uh, he's not on the market yet. He'll ask you, all right, is he on the market yet? Say, no, keep him going, I want a little more. And then when you set a price and you get, well, almost that, you tell the auctioneer, well, you can put them on the market now and hope then that somebody around the ring likes your animal and every time somebody puts up a finger it's another few pounds and there you sweat it out waiting for some generous person or some good old farmer to an for an animal and you wait there hoping and you you stand beside the auctioneer and you hope that every man shouts a few more pounds. Oh it's marvellous to hear people shouting pounds like in your favour. That's the the, the only good part when somebody puts up his hand is more pound the auctioneer is on and on, mention... 250, 260, 280, 300. When you get it near your price, you're saying, Oh, this is great. This is great. You'll see a man delighted, to do, rubbish. Rubbish. rubbing his hands, you'll see another tuh- tam- man throwing off his cap and discussing. Oh, I threw away
0: Well, it's very much on the cards, on here For the last three months, I'd say, we would have nearly a cleared and sale per week here of, of, of older people selling, selling out their stock completely. completely. that's the one now. Of an average. And no-one will ever come out of the forestry's in here to this market or into any other shop in town. Or from what they have planted, that's that. It has meant that after our generation... I can see no I can see no young young farmers <coughs> coming in coming on in the future. But if you were around here now for a couple of hours today and, and that, that dim ring there now for the cattle are selling, you will see no youth buying or selling an animal. Oh dear, and I know oceans of people like myself. There's nothing in the house only a man and a woman, and when they're gone, it's doors up. Oceans of the. I seen out there on that mountain. I seen
7: hundreds
0: of houses. So out there on that mountain. was not, there's one man living away up there on that mountain. Oh, no one he's the only one. would we'll say, and there's not a house within three miles. That's a fact. I could show it to here. That's a fact. And that man must be out in America and came home and went up there on that mountain. Glory to so God. Find the old home, Pess.
1: I stop again where the mountain road dips towards the spangled lights of the village, to study a derelict property under lonesome dales. I would not dare press my face towards clouded windows in the falling dusk. It is the home of a ghost, the ghost of a retired labourer who told me once that in his youth he too had been one of the boys from the Bronx. When his legs could carry him about these country byways no more, my family found him this place to live. A basic shelter from the elements on the side of a mountain. A quiet, empty place, where memories of his days laboring in the humid lair of the building sites of America mingled freely in his imagination with the farming traditions of his youth. And then he would describe for me the gangs of shirtless men in cloth caps and heavy boots breaking open the heart of the Manhattan bedrock for the waves of glimmering new skyscrapers rising against the sun-white heavens the rush of strange people and machines, the geometric order of gridiron city streets, meetings with coloured men, Chinamen with ponytails, Polish men, Jews and Italians, the foreign tongues and foreign ways of life down in the siren and loud canyons of Manhattan by day and the yellow brick tenements of the Bronx by night. He quit America and came here to spend the last years of his life in a strange no-man's land, lost between old and new worlds.
4: Farmers, we as farmers have been accused of crying wolf, and, and we, we have to take some of the blame for
1: that. But what I'm saying at the moment is that we have a serious problem, and we want it recognised, and it is
4: immediate, it's now. Farmers are not able to re- make their repayments. They're not able to, to buy school books for their kids going back to school.
1: The days of the horse trading between farmers, the spitting and the hand slapping, the luck money and the practised intervention of onlookers are gone. The dealers want only well-fed and finished animals. The order of the day is for lean beef for continental tables. Casual banter remains, but the talk hinges on the latest round of EC levies, subsidies, supplements, gat talks and penalties. The only thing that counts now is that big clock face above the Mart ring that speaks in kilos, the common language of the common market.
4: If, if, minister, we were, if we had allowed the Commission proposals to go ahead as they originally were, then it would be much worse than what has now oh, been achieved. This with the all negative, these concessions. Minister. Negative. If the Commission didn't put forward proposals of the European community. The Americans would have their own way on this. You Surely 30, he recognises that, that it started in 1986. And he can't just say that we should not be in
6: there. The cards are stacked against us. 20 years' time, we can make prophecies and you can be all wrong. <laughs> we can't see the future, you never know. Maybe there might be... A future in something we haven't seen at all so far that might revolution the area. So you keep the hope alive, and uh, you have to keep hope alive that there is a possibility of continuing to live. And I uh, don't want uh, uh, don't want people just living here and living on the dole uh, on a handout system. So twenty years time, we may be up and running and more vibrant than ever, or we may be or in between. (laughs) I don't know. The old boy props his
1: bicycle against a rusty petrol pump. We step over a sheepdog lying across the pub door and we go in together. After the brash, self-conscious bars of the Bronx, this is a den of empty shadows, silent men and old upholstery. The men Consider their bottle stout and half ones. Welcomes are muted as I settle into the curious comfort of my own kind for the last time. I shout a drink for the old boy who came in with me. He takes a bottle of beer and asks, What do you make of life over there in the States anyway? I tell him, sometimes I think I've wandered off the mark."